Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. Well, good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you're here, whether in person or online. And if it is your first time, we would love to get to know you. And the easiest way to do that is to text hashtag new to the number on the screen, use the QR code, go to our website. And if you do that, someone will reach out to you. And we'd love to hear more about who you are, as well as tell you a little bit about Fellowship Bible Church. We are a church and our mission is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world. We are glad that you are here, and today marks our first Sunday of the Advent season. And around here at Fellowship, we have a few traditions. If you are subscribed to our Advent devotionals, and you should have received a Devo from Mickey Rapier this morning, titled Don't Miss the Sign, where he looks at Isaiah 7, and he points to the prophecy of Jesus, our Messiah. And so don't miss the sign. If you've received that, then you'll continue to receive daily devotionals every day leading up to Christmas. And if you have not received that, if you are not signed up and you want to be, uh, you can use the QR code or you can text hashtag Devos to the number on the screen. If you visit our website, it's pretty easy to find in the news section. And so we encourage you to use that as a tool to engage this Advent season to keep our minds and our eyes fixed on Christ. Another tradition that we have here during Advent is the gift. And so you heard a little bit about the gift from Mickey during our Thanksgiving share service uh, via video and live on stage. But the gift is our opportunity here at Fellowship to continue to give back to God what he has given to us. And we, we pray that this is an opportunity as you're giving gifts to others that you would give a gift to God. And everyone's participation in that allows the elders to invest strategically, locally, regionally, and globally into ministries 
that share the gospel and help, uh, help the kingdom expand on this, this earth. And so we invite you as you leave uh, this place after the service, there's gift envelopes by the doors. You can either grab one of those, take it home, pray over it, bring your gift back and put it in an offering box or you can give online. So Advent, if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know what Advent is, well, John Barclay is gonna be teaching this morning and he'll share a little bit more about what Advent season is. And so if you grew up in a tradition like me where we didn't use the term Advent for this time of year, we just said it's Christmas time. And then maybe your, your thoughts when you hear Advent, you think of like a calendar. I used to get a calendar where we'd open little boxes and there'd be a piece of chocolate in it. And so my aunt would give that to me and we'd count down the days till Christmas. Well, Advent simply means this, coming. Advent means coming. And so we reflect on Christ's first coming as a baby born in Bethlehem, the hope of nations, the light of the world. And we look forward to his second coming. And so this morning, Luke 2 is gonna be our call to worship. I invite you to stand with me this morning. And I invite you to sing with me. I'm the only one up here, so I'd love to have your help this morning. But we're gonna sing familiar songs and Christmas carols of who Christ is and what he has done for us. So would you read this out loud with me? Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is Messiah, the Lord. So may this morning be a peaceful morning where we can rest and relax and we can worship the Savior together as we sing, as we reflect on what he has done for us, and as we look ahead with hope that he is coming again. We sing, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again, we believe. And Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again, he's our hope. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died and Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And he became sin. might become his righteousness he humbled himself and he carried the
You are 
declare this this morning that you are our God. You are the one that we have waited for. And that just as you are faithful to come, the word made flesh to dwell among us, Jesus, a babe born in a manger, we know that you are faithful and you will return once again. So God, you give us hope. May we be a people of hope. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, do you ever get tired of waiting? Maybe waiting to stop wearing a mask, right? Yeah. Waiting for a pandemic to be over. Uh, get tired of, of maybe of waiting to have a family gathering where you don't have to uninvite people and then try to figure things out. Waiting for Christmas? It's here. We get to celebrate. You get tired of waiting in lines or, or waiting on hold or, or now more than ever we wait in the line and we try to stay away from the person in front of us. Or we wait in waiting rooms, don't we? We have whole rooms for waiting. That look familiar? Or, or the new waiting room. Have you been to the new waiting room? There's nothing like waiting for your doctor or somebody to come on and you just stare and look at your face in the video. Sometimes we wait for news from a friend or, or news that your child's made it safely. Sometimes the people are, there may be some here that are waiting anxiously on that, the word from that job interview. Maybe there's a job hanging out there or maybe there's not. We wait in airports, although not much these days. We, we wait uh, patiently for Christmas, don't we kids? Or you're waiting, kids, maybe you're waiting for school to return to normal where you don't have to wear this thing and, and where sports can be normal. We wait and we wait and we wait. Many of you are watching online are waiting to be able to patiently return to these in-person services and we can't wait to have you with us. So for nearly 50 years, every fall during football season, right before Thanksgiving, the country would turn its attention to the Peanuts comic strip and its creator, Charles Schultz, and who would show the world Charlie Brown waiting in eager expectation and wondering that this might be the year. This might be the year that Lucy would, would put the football down and what? Not pull it away, right? But every year, what would she do? She would pull it away. Every single year. And the same comic strip for 50 years. Does that feel like 2020 to you? It does a little bit. The football keeps getting pulled away. Waiting is where we often find people, the people of God. Sometimes waiting in hopeful expectation. Sometimes waiting in outright disobedience. Well, this morning as we enter Advent, Advent, it starts four weeks before Christmas. And it continues through Christmas Day. And Advent is the, the first season of the liturgical year of the Christian calendar. It's, it's this week that we started Clarity last year as the first season of Clarity. It's also seen as an expectant time for Jesus' second Advent or coming. And we who live today, we find ourselves living between those two Advents. The, the first one of a, of a baby in a manger and the second one coming as a king and a judge. 
The word Advent literally means coming or arrival. And 700 years before Jesus' first Advent, his first arrival, as a baby in a manger, God's people, the Israelites, were being warned of impending judgment, of doom that was coming. And this is where we find ourselves in our passage today in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah was a prophet that lived during the time that we know in Israelite history as the divided kingdom. A prophet in the Old Testament sense of the word was someone who, who represented, the, represented God to the people. Now, if you back up a long time to, to the garden, after the first sin and the fall of humanity and God and his plan of restoration and redemption through a man named Abraham gave him three promises. He promised him millions of descendants, a people. He promised him a, a wonderful place to live that we know as the promised land. And he promised him blessing and that he would be with him. And then later, after God's people, after escaping bondage in Egypt, through a covenant with Moses, he, God gave them some rules to live by. And, and for, for hundreds of years, they tried to live by those rules and failed. And from then on, they struggled until they eventually found some unity under an a anointed king, King David, and then King David's son, Solomon. And then the kingdom divided, and that's where we find ourselves in our passage today, and it divided into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south with the capital of Jerusalem. The closing verse of chapter 8 sets up our passage. I warn you, it's not a very Christmassy passage, but I think it will form our study today. It says this in Isaiah eight twenty two: Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress, and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. In the midst of certain, certain gloom, God, through his prophet Isaiah, is going to give a glimmer of hope, a, a glimpse of glory. And as we turn the pages into chapter 9, look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us, a child is born. And if we were to go on, to us, a son is given. In the midst of certain doom, there is still future hope. A great light, and a great light was a savior, a Messiah, a child to be born. And I'll ask you the question this morning. Can you see the light? Can you hear the sound? There's a savior coming. And this morning, we are gonna look at that savior. And we begin our Service and we begin Advent as we light the prophecy candle of hope. And we light this candle that because no matter what goes on, no matter how hard things are, we have hope. Those who believe in Christ have hope, and we place that hope in a baby that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. Fellowship. Can you see the light? Can you, can you hear the sound? The Savior's coming. And the Savior is a child born in a manger. For unto us a child is born. Can you hear the sound? Can you hear the sound? Redemption scene. 
Reflect on our King this morning with a familiar melody of Be Thou My Vision with some rewritten lyrics as we sing the High King of Heaven. High King of Heaven, you stepped from your throne, took on our flesh and made this world Salvation in this manger. 
High King of Heaven. thank you for the opportunity to gather safely. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Christmas season. And we pray for those who are struggling in their health. We pray that you would be with them and you would comfort them. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning and you would teach us through your Holy Spirit and you would move us to live obediently. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the text says, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 700 years before Jesus actually fulfilled these words, the prophet Isaiah wrote about them, about the Messiah coming, a a child born, a son given. God's solution to humanity's problem was a baby, a savior, born of a virgin, just as the prophet Isaiah said it would be hundreds of years before. It's easy for us to see the connection. We, we kind of look back um, uh, 2,000 years ago to what happened in the manger and, and to another 700 years to what Isaiah said about it. But, but think about them, them looking forward and, and hearing these words and trying to piece together what it actually meant. Could, could these words not have been about King Ahaz's children or someone else's children? And I think we were able to answer that fairly quickly with the words, the names that are described about him. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It could only be describing a perfect king, the King of Kings, God himself. This prophecy actually starts a couple chapters before in a familiar passage. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, not only is this child going to be born and not only is this child going to be a son, but his name is going to be Emmanuel. And he will have a miraculous birth. He will be born through a virgin. That's incredible. We hear that so often over the years, it almost loses its meaning. And then the power of our passage, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And those are very two very different statements. The, the child is born points to the humanity of Christ, while the son is given, it points to the divinity of of Christ. The child is born points to the, the terrestrial. The, the son is given points to the celestial. The, son, the child is born points to the earthly. The son is given points to the heavenly. The child is born points to the son of man, which we hear over and over in scripture. And the son is given points to the son of God, the life-giving, hope-fulfilling, destiny-changing son of God. Now, I want to pause for a moment, because if you're in the room or, or you're watching this online, and this isn't really making total sense to you, or maybe you're missing the power of, of the passage and what we're talking about, I want you to stay tuned in, because I think the Lord over time will reveal to you the power of what we're talking about today. And I'm going to give you a couple of challenges later on in the service. Before we go forward, though, I want us to go back. I want us to look at the first three words. For to us. You see, 
the, 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 the text is written to a certain people. It's God's people, for to us. Now, anytime you see a, a word like therefore or like or for, you need to see what they're talking about. And it's, it's a little hard to go this deep in a Christmas passage, but I think this will inform your understanding. I think this will bring this passage to light for to us. So, so what's he referring to? And to, to find that, we've got to go back all the way to the first verse of chapter 9. You have to go back and back and back to the first verse. And he says, nevertheless. And if you remember back to the earlier in the, the, the teaching, the earlier in the service, he was talking about darkness and, and distress. He was talking about um, they were thrust into utter darkness and fearful gloom. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. So he's talking about this future time for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, you remember how I said that Isaiah was living in a time of a divided God's people, a divided kingdom? There was Israel to the north and, and Judah to the south. Well, this land of, of Zebulun and Naphtali, there were two of the 12 tribes that were given land, and they were in the north up by the Sea of Galilee. And if you see this map, it, it, matter of fact, I'll give you a little map tutorial. Anytime you see a map of the Holy Land, you always see the Mediterranean Sea kind of off to the left. And then you see, I always use two um, bodies of water as my guide. I always use the Sea of Galilee, which is that body of water in the north, and the Dead Sea, which is the body of water in the south. And typically, you can see the River Jordan kind of connecting those. I don't know if you can see it in this map. But our, 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 our uh, area we're looking at is Zebulun and Naphtali, which I think we have zoomed in, yeah, up to the north. And so what Isaiah's talking about, he's down in Jerusalem in that lower highlighted area, and he's talking about this area up there, and he's saying, your, your past reality is one of gloom and doom. Your future reality is one of glory. He said, your past reality is one of darkness. Your future reality is one of light. And so there's something really powerful going on here. I like the way the writers of the ESV version of the Bible capture it. But there will be no more gloom for, the, for her who was in anguish. For in the former time, he brought contempt on the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made it glorious. This, this way by the sea, which is, was a highway that was highly traveled through there. This land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So this area is really important. But why? Well, I want you to fast forward 700 years to the time of Jesus, and look at Matthew chapter 4 with me. It says this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. See, leaving Nazareth, he went north. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Capernaum's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, which was, a, which was by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. There's your little water cooler talk. I guess we don't have water coolers right now, do we? But there's your little talk over the Zoom as you're, as you're talking with your coworkers. You can tell them where that's at. Verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And so I have a map forwarding 700 years into Jesus' time. Same area. You got the Sea of Galilee up north. You got the Dead Sea to the south. You got the, the River Jordan connecting it. 
And that area of Galilee, that purple area up there, I think I have a, we can zoom in on that, that's where Jesus is talking about, that same area. And he left Nazareth, which was just south of there, and went to minister in that land. Why? To fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said. And then if you finish up that verse, it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He begins his ministry in that area just like they said it would, gloom to glory, darkness to light. Look at verse two. Chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then you pop to our passage today, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. It informs everything that we already believe. But it's so important for us to understand the text that Jesus is the glory. Jesus is the light. And then it says this, and the government will be on his shoulders. I love that passage. See, the government won't be on us. It won't be on the people of the first century. It will, not be, on, it will be on him. He will be the governor, and his government will be perfect. So what kind of governor will he be? Look at verse 7. We're going to jump past those, those names. I know that's hard for some of you who are type A personalities. Just hold on to that. Jump down to verse 7 and look at this. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You see, this governor's reign, when he becomes governor, it will never end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This, this governor will be a descendant of King David, which would have been really important in Isaiah's day establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He will be a king who, who establishes the kingdom with righteousness and justice forever. Now, how is this going to happen? Well, he says right here, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The child, the son, born of a virgin, will be a governor whose government will never end. It's, it'll be filled with peace, established by justice and righteousness, and will last forever. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. He has said it. He has promised it. It will happen. And it's easier for us who have hindsight, who, who, who can look back and put all the pieces together to see this. This government will never end. It will be a peaceful government. In just a minute, I'll share with you a couple chapters later in chapter 11 of Isaiah, he says some of the craziest stuff you'll ever read in the scriptures about how peaceful this government will be. But let's look at his first of his names. <clears throat> he will be called Wonderful Counselor, or you could say Wonderful in Counsel. He will be the Wonderful Counselor. Now, we've got a great uh, building over here on the front of our campus, our, called our counseling center, our care center. We've got incredible counselors. But I'll just say this. They pale in comparison to him. There you've got to make an appointment. He's available all the time. There they have limited knowledge. He's available. He knows everything. 
We have an incredible pastoral staff. If you met some of our staff, they do an incredible job, but we are limited. But he's not. He's wonderful in counsel. He's a wonderful counselor. Romans 11 says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? It's rhetorical. It means nobody. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Nobody. For to him and through him and for him all things are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen? Yeah, amen. See, sometimes I think God needs my input. As I'm praying, I don't know if you do this, but I'll say, hey, God, to kind of understand the situation, this is what you need to know, and I'll give him some tips. Hey, pro tip here, God, pro tip, you need to understand this. He doesn't need a pro tip. He doesn't need our counsel. He knows everything. He's the wonderful counsel. He is wonderful in counsel, so Go to him. He will answer you. I promise. Now, sometimes it doesn't seem like he's answering, but he will. Sometimes he answers very differently than we think he should. He's wonderful in counsel. He's also called mighty God. This, this uh, goes towards strength and power. You know, some of the commentators like to say, well, these names, you know, they don't necessarily mean exactly what they're saying, and we're not really sure this this means divinity, and when they call him mighty God, it looks pretty divine to me, doesn't it, you? That this governor will be called mighty God. That's a bold statement. Colossians 2, chapter 9 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The English Puritan writer Stephen Charnock says this, and just just listen. If you need to close your eyes to focus in, close your eyes, but listen to this. What a wonder it is that two natures infinitely distant should be more intimately united than anything in the world, and yet without any confusion. That the same person should have both glory and grief, infinite joy in deity and inexpressible sorrow in humanity. That a God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle, the thundering creator, a weeping babe, and a suffering man are such expressions of mighty power as well as condescending love that they astonish men upon earth and angels in heaven. It's so powerful. He'll also be called everlasting father. In addition to wonderful counselor, In addition to mighty God, he'll be called everlasting father. Now, I don't know if you think this is interesting or not, but it's interesting to me that the son is called the father. Kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, you have God the father, you have God the son, you have God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Now he's saying he's the everlasting father. What does that mean? It's confusing a little bit to me, but I think it speaks to a lot of things, and at least two I want to share with you. First, it speaks to Jesus' deity, that he is God. You think about Isaiah's writing to the people of his day, and and he's wanting them to realize this Messiah who's coming is God. He's deity. The Apostle John captures it this way in John 1.1 about Jesus. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. This Messiah coming, this King who's coming is God. And then secondly, it talks about, I think it speaks to the fact that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Think about it this way. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a child of God. You're a child of him. You've been adopted into his family. But what were you like before you were a child of God? You were a child of wrath. And then God graciously adopted you into his family. And now you're a child of God. And that adoption only takes place through Jesus. He is the pathway. He is the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Isaiah 53.10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring, his offspring, and prolong his days and he, the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. In addition to everlasting father, in addition to mighty God and wonderful counselor, he's also called this. He will be called the prince of peace. It is through Jesus that we have real peace. And if you're tuning in online, if you're tuning in right here, and you don't have peace You've come to the right place. And I'm not talking about me. I'm not even talking about this place. I'm talking about his word and a relationship with him. You will find peace. I promise you. Now, it doesn't mean all your troubles will go away, but your, your dealings with those troubles will be totally different because Jesus, this, this, this savior, this governor, will be called the prince of peace. Isaiah 53, five says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We're healed. Well, I promised you this Isaiah 11 passage. <clears throat> it's really interesting. I wish I would have put it on the screen. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it, and I wish I would have. But it, it, it speaks of a time in the future that Jesus is going to bring. Now, now listen to this really closely. This time of peace, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the child will lead them. Picture this. The cow will feed the bear, their young will lie together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? But it gets better. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Kids don't do that. It's not a peaceful time yet, but someday there will be a peaceful time coming. And it literally shows a picture of kids playing with snakes. Oh, it just gives me shivers. Can you imagine putting your hand into a viper's den? No, it doesn't make sense to us in our finite present minds. But someday he's coming back. The king and the judge is coming and he will make things right, and the prince of peace will reign. This is so powerful. You know, I said earlier, if you're joining us today and you're having a hard time putting all this together, you said, well, this guy's really excited about all this stuff, but I don't understand any of it. It's okay. I'm just glad. I'm glad you're watching online. I'm glad you're here. I think the Lord will illumine you. I'm praying that the Lord 
will open your eyes. But if you're here and, and you're not sure if you've got a relationship with Christ or, or you, 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 you just don't understand this, I want to challenge you to do two things. First, come back next week and the week after that. Celebrate all of Advent with us. We're going to talk about Christ's peace and his joy and his love for the next several weeks. Just come back. Tune in again. I promise you, you'll, it'll help. Second, I want to challenge you to ask God to reveal himself to you. Just that simple request in the form of a prayer. Lord, would you reveal yourself to me and then wait? Maybe even just be open. But Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? And my hope is during this Christmas season, he would answer that prayer. I think he will. For the rest of you, those who believe in Christ, the church, I'm not going to give you anything to do. Isn't that nice? Your to-do list is probably full enough, isn't it? You're trying to, how to figure out how to buy stuff without going to the store. You're trying to figure out how to do Christmas gatherings without gathering. We've got enough to do. I'm not going to add anything to it, but my challenge to you is this. I want you to take the passage we talked about this morning. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you a story, and I want you to lay this story right on top of it. And I want this to impact how you live. The fact that our hope in Christ for the future should impact how we live today. And so I just want to share this little story with you as we close. Ken Nurburn writes of a time in his life when he was a, a young cab driver. He had a lot of ministry opportunities. As a, actually, he was a third shift cab driver. Can you imagine the people he picked up? The cab rides he did, we had, he said he had lots of ministry opportunities, but none like this one. It was the wee hours of the morning, and he was taking his last call, the last shift. And he pulls up in front of this duplex in a not-so-good part of town, and he kind of briefly honks the horn so as not to wake the neighbors, but to let them know the person who called that he's there. Well, nothing happened. Now, typically, he might give another honk or maybe just even drive off. It's the last shift. He he doesn't want to do this probably. He's probably ready to go home and go to bed. But he doesn't do that. He actually goes to the door. And he rings the doorbell. And he hears inside this, the sound of a bag being dragged towards the door. And as the door opens, it's this small little frail woman and, and a small little bag. And as he looks inside, it, it's like a movie set. The house is perfect. But it's like from 50 years ago. And everything's set. And he's wondering, what am I doing picking up this, this older lady at three in the morning? Maybe she's going to catch a flight. What's going on here? So he, he takes the bag to the car, and he looks up, and she's still standing in the doorway. So he walks back, and he holds out his arm, and he walks her to the car. And she just thanks him over and over. It takes him a long time to get to the car. And they get in the car, and he gets inside, and he says, where to? And she hands him an address. She says, but, but I want us to drive through the city. He says, oh man, that, that's not the fastest way to go. And she says, I'm, that's okay. I'm not in a hurry. You see, I'm headed to hospice. And the doctors say I don't have a lot of time left. And all my family's gone. And at that point, he just reaches up and shuts off the meter. And for the next several hours, in the wee hours of the morning, they drive to special places over and over in her city. 
They drive to the home that her and her husband shared for years. They, they drove to a, a warehouse that used to be a ballroom where she would go dancing. And then the last stop, they just stopped in front of this place and he didn't know what it was, but it seemed like they sat for an eternity in silence. And finally she said, okay, I'm ready to go. And they drove in silence to the facility, the hospice. As, as soon as they pulled up, the orderlies came out and they put her in a wheelchair and they started to roll her in and the cab driver quickly got her bag and brought it to her. And she said, how much do I owe you? And he said, don't worry about it. She said, no, you gotta make a living. He said, there's, there's other people who can pay for that. She looked up at him and she said, thank you for giving a little old lady a little bit of hope and joy at the end of her life. A fellowship, that should be us. What God has done and what he said he will do should form and fuel how we live today, especially at Christmas. Because we're the Christians, aren't we? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Emmanuel, come. But until then, we will wait and we will live in humble, hope-filled obedience. Let's sing.
Would you stand with me? Let's sing this together. Oh, come all you faithful. our prayer that we would adore you this holiday season, that we would fix our eyes on you, our Savior, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So God, would you give us hope, peace, joy, and love as we reflect on the message of Christmas and as we reflect on the gospel message that you have saved us and that you are coming again. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for worshiping with us, fellowship. Don't forget to grab a gift envelope on your way out the side doors. Also, the prayer room is open if you'd like prayer this morning. Go in peace this holiday season.